Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the subject of ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, and particularly church polity. Now, church polity is the branch of ecclesiology that addresses the organizational structure and hierarchy in the church. Jeff McCormack has expressed a desire for eldership at Brand Bible Church. No. <laughs> so, so he thought this would be a good time to share our <laughs> to share our church's position on leadership. Oh, <clears throat> Gary, are you supposed to be controlling the congregation? Get the stick. <laughs> there are basically three types. <laughs> of church government that have developed in various Christian denominations. Um, there's the Episcopal form, there is the Presbyterian form, and there is the Congregational form. Now, please understand, these are just kind of guidelines because there's great variations of all these. You know, uh, we say that we're Episcopal in our, I mean, we say that we're Presbyterian in our church government, but it would be very different than a Presbyterian actually does their government. So we're just kind of using that as a head. All right, the Episcopalians hold that Christ, as the head of the church, has entrusted the government of the church directly and exclusively to an order of bishops who are successors of the apostles. In this system, the community of believers has absolutely no share in the government of the church. The Episcopalian form of government has the polity of the Catholic Church. And as early as Ignatius of Antioch, all the way down to the Roman, uh, the Reformation, this has been their doctrine. Now, basically, the, the Episcopal form is a bishopric, meaning it's a one-man rule. One man calls all the shots. He does everything that needs to be done. The system is used today not only in the Episcopalian churches, who have one-man rule, but... This leadership model is in various churches. But all of them focus on the fact that one person is recognized as the leader of the church. In some churches, this man would be called the senior pastor. He alone decides what's beneficial for the church family. Uh, although sometimes there is a board. The church has a board. The pastor appoints the board and tells the board what to do. So, you know, he's, he's in charge. He sets the vision for the church. He determines any kind of major decisions, any significant financial matters. They're all done by this one individual. Now, I think that a church that is led by a single pastor is a very dangerous form of government. It promotes the preeminence of one man. It just kind of lifts this man up on a pedestal and says, you're very special. And you know what What I've seen in my church experiences, when this happens, he begins to believe he is very special. And then he seems to stray from the truth. Well, there was a man like this in Scripture, in 3 John 1, 9 and 10. It says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence. That's basically what it says. He loves to be first among them. He, he wants the preeminence. He wants to be lifted up. This guy, he really thinks he's special. He does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I'll call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and he puts them out of the church. 
So here's Diotrephes. He's throwing people out of the church because it's his church. He runs it. He's in charge of it. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that Yeshua is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will, will come to have first place in everything. Christ is to have first place. He is to have the preeminence, not some man. That's the Episcopal form. And like I said, these are not strict lines. They blur all kinds of places, alright? The, the, the next one we want to look at is the congregational model. In an effort to have everybody involved, the entire congregation votes on all important matters and usually elects a board to supervise or oversee the church ministry. This type of leadership typically has a senior pastor who teaches regularly. Well, I don't know about teaches. He speaks regularly, yet may or may not have responsibility for specific areas of ministry as far as the staff goes. The final word in a congregational church is the congregation, the members. They can replace any board member through a voting process. The board can usually fire the senior pastor if he doesn't live up to their expectations. And I've had this happen many times. A pastor goes to a church and he doesn't do what they want him to do, so he's out. Now he's out looking for a new place to go. The strength of the congregational form of leadership is found in that every member, every person, every adult in the church has a ministry with the emphasis on he's able to be a voting member. However, this is also the weakness of the congregational church. Because you have the possibility of immature believers voting on vital aspects of church life and ministry, and basically they're just voting their personal preference. A detriment of congregational form of church government is that board members are elected on the basis of popularity too often. Hey, we want to get our man in there. He'll do what we want in this church. And this kind of structure can foster a, a political maneuvering that you know people are trying to get in certain people so they can get done what they want done in the church. I've been involved in this, and it's it's politics in the church, and it's really sickening, you know, to be a part of. Because here's the question, why should a member who attends twice a year, a C&E member, alright, why should they have an equal vote to an experienced church leader who knows the facts and wants only the best for the church? I mean, to let anyone vote is to assume they are all spiritually informed and all know what's true. We know that's not true, you know? So, and, and I've seen this happen, you know, the church is having a vote... And the people get on the phone and they call, and people come there, they're members, but you haven't seen them for years. How do you even know what we're voting about? Well, so-and-so told me I need to vote for them, you know? It's just, oh, it's very sickening to be involved in. Now, many churches that are congregational in name are Episcopal in fact. Know what I mean by that? The senior pastor runs the show, but maybe once a year the congregation gets to vote on something. Something minor, you know, because the pastor is running the show. I've been involved in that type of church also. You know, you have a congregation, but we know who's really running the thing. Alright? Then you have the Presbyterian form of church leadership, where they have a board of elders in charge and making decisions. Now, Berean Bible Church, it says on our website, is Presbyterian in its form of government. 
very loosely Presbyterian, okay? Because like I said, if you look at the Presbyterian and how it's run, we believe the Bible emphasizes two important principles of church government, plurality and representative. Multiple elders are chosen by God and recognized by the congregation to represent people. Our elders are responsible for the teaching, for the spiritual oversight, and the discipline of individual members. We believe that elder rule is the form of government that best illustrates the principle that Yeshua the Christ alone is the head of the church. And church leadership is a team effort. It's not the sole responsibility of one man. It's a joint responsibility of the board of elders. Now the norm in the New Testament church was a plurality of elders. There's no evidence in the New Testament of a one-pastor congregation. You don't find it in the Bible. Human leaders, even Christian ones, are sinful, and they only accomplish God's will imperfectly. I think we all agree on that. Multiple leaders, therefore, will serve as a check and balance of each other, and serve as a safeguard against the very human tendency to play God with other people. Within a plurality of leaders, extreme ideas are tempered. You know, one guy says, I think we're going to go... No, you don't go that way. And let me just say this. In a true plurality, it's not like you got the pastor and then the rest of the elders. The pastor, the teaching pastor, whatever, is just one of the elders. They're equal in their decision. They're equal in their vote. With a plurality, harsh judgments are moderated. Doctrinal imbalances are corrected. From my perspective, it's a very comforting position. You're not out there alone making decisions and hoping it works out. You got other people to blame when things go bad. All right? You got a board. It wasn't just my idea. We all did, you know. It's just comforting to have a group of men to work together, you know, to pray together, to be led by the Lord. We, uh, years and years ago, this is like before Berean, we, uh, as a plurality of elders, we were talking about adding Lord's Supper every week. And there was one elder there who had a brethren background and they did it every week and so it was very important to him. And the rest of us were like, oh, this is crazy. So we agreed to study it for two months. At, at a meeting set at the two-month period, we would come back and discuss that specific issue. You know, and I thought, this is going to be interesting. Well, it was, in, it was very interesting because we came back. I think there was about five of us at the time. And uh, we all unanimously decided we want to have Lord's Supper every week. You know, and when it started, like, I was, okay, this brethren, guy's got a brethren position, he's trying to push his view. But after I studied it, it was like, this seems like a great idea to do every week. You know, and we're not saying it's a mandate, we're not saying you have to do this, we're not saying it's a law, we're saying we want to do this because it's a reminder of us on a weekly basis of what the Lord's done for us. So we instituted it, and it was, it was kind of cool. You know, but again, everybody worked together, they, you know, and here's the thing, you can't, if you got an agenda, it's just... It's tough to get something through, you know. You have to be able to let the Scripture speak and follow what it's going to say. All right, I want to look at uh, Philippians 1.1 here. Look what Paul says. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Yeshua, to all the saints in Christ Yeshua who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Now look at what he says. He is writing to the saints in Christ Yeshua who are at Philippi. And then he adds this, including the overseers and deacons. This is the only letter in which Paul does this. This is the earliest epistle where bishops and deacons are mentioned. 
The only one where they're separately addressed. Now, i got a question for you. Why does Paul address the overseers and deacons and ignore the pastor? There was no pastor. You think maybe he was mad at the pastor, so he's just snubbing them? That's right. He didn't address the single pastor because there was no single pastor. Alright? In the New Testament, there is never one book, never one word addressed to one man as pastor of a church. It's just not in there. As we said, Yeshua is the head of the church, not a man. Elders are under-shepherds of the flock. Now, there are three terms used in the New Testament to describe church leaders. But before I look at them, let me say this. None of them is reverent. I know I nitpick on a lot of things, but to me, this is not a little thing. I don't think it's biblical for a pastor, anyone in ministry, to use the title reverent. Do you know what that title means? That word's only found once in the King James Bible. New American doesn't have it in. But it's a reference not to man, but to Yahweh. It's found in Psalm 111.9. He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverend is His name. The Hebrew word translated reverend here is Yahweh. It means fear. Morally. It means to revere, cause, to frighten. So, it's the idea of He is reverend, He is holy, it causes fear. Now, thinking of that perspective, we certainly shouldn't be afraid of any pastor. Because Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in Yahweh will be exalted. Certainly, only Yahweh is to be revered. Only It's only Him that we are to hold in reverence, that we are to, to fear, knowing that He alone is the one who has absolute power and authority. That's not an attribute of an under-shepherd who pastors a local group of believers. And I have, you know, once in a while, someone will call me reverend, and I'll correct them. Not reverend. It just, you know, and then we... You know, there's so many people in the ministry, they add to this. Most right reverend. You heard that? Most holy reverend. That makes me nauseous, people. Who in the world do you think you are? But men just lift themselves up on this platform and everybody's supposed to bow before them. It's sickening. It's not biblical at all. But it's the state the church is in now. Only Yahweh is to be revered. All right. So that's not one of the terms. But there are three terms used in the New Testament to describe church leaders. Again, they're not reverent. But they are elder, bishops, and pastor. The most widely used New Testament designation for church leader is what? What? Which one? Pick one. There's only three. Huh? Elder. Okay. Elder. Elder comes from the Greek word presbuteros. It's used 72 times in the New Testament and it refers basically to mature in age. Bishop is from the Greek word episkopos. It means guardian or overseer. It's used five times in the New Testament. It's used once of Christ. 1 Peter 2.25 
and four other times to refer to church leaders. It's always plural. It's not bishop, so-and-so. It's bishops. Pastor is from the Greek word poimen, and it's found how many times in the New Testament? Huh? Once. One time. Anybody know where? Ephesians. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. That is the only time you're going to find this word in the New Testament. The normal meaning of the word is shepherd, which means to protect, to feed, to care for, to lead. Pastors are not distinct from bishop and elders. A lot of churches have a structure. They've got a pastor, they have an elder board, then they have deacons. No, pastors and elders are the same. Bishops, they're the same. If you look at the textual evidence throughout the Scripture, now, a lot of people don't seem to want to do that, but if you do it, I, I remember when I left the Baptist church and I started Community Bible Church, I had one of the pastors from the other church come to me and he goes, where did you ever get this idea about elders? I mean, he was serious, you know, and I said to him, because I'm a little bit of a smart aleck at times. And I said to him, have you ever read the New Testament? Because that's where I got it from. The New Testament. You know, and that's the thing. In studying the Bible, you come up with some crazy ideas, you know. You find things that, you know, how did this get in there? But it's in the Scripture, people. Let's look at a few of the texts, alright. 1 Peter 5, 1-5. Therefore, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, not pastors, but the elders, as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntary, according to the will of God. And not, of, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over the allotted, those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now we see here the word elders in verse 1 is presbuteros, the word shepherd in 2 is poimino, and the word oversight in verse 2 is episcopao. They're all the same words here that we looked at earlier. They're different forms of them. So Peter is instructing the elders to be good shepherds as they oversteer the flock. All different terms used of the same individual. Three terms, one office. Look at Acts 20, 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called to him the elders of the church. Alright, Paul here is calling the elders to meet him. He wants to talk with them, so he calls the elders to meet him. Now, notice that the word elders here is plural, and church is singular. Each church, each individual church, had a plurality of elders. Down in the text, verse 28, he says, Be on guard for yourselves, he's telling the elders, and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Here he is addressing the elders from verse 17, and we see the same three Greek words, elder, overseer, shepherd, used to describe those who lead the church. Elders emphasize who the man is. Bishop and pastor speak of what he does. 
Look at Titus 1, 5 through 7. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach. So, back here, we see the Titus. He's an apostolic, rep, apostolic representative. He's to appoint elders. Then he begins to give the qualifications for them. And then he says in verse 7, an overseer must be. Well, he's talking about elders. Now he says the overseer because it's the same person. The elder, he says, is to be a good overseer. Now, according to the New Testament, the leadership or pastoral oversight of the local church is to be shared by all men in the church who qualify and desire the work. Church leadership is to be a team effort. Every place in the New Testament where the term presbuteros is used, it's plural, except where John and Peter use it to speak of themselves. They call themselves the elder. The norm in the New Testament church was a plurality of elders. There's no reference in all the New Testament to a one pastor congregation. That's interesting because that's how most churches, that's the model of most churches. It's just not biblical. And today's tradition of that single pastor leading a church, not the biblical norm, it's a violation of the scriptural pattern. And I think because of this pride and selfishness plague much of the Lord's work. The world's concept of power, honor, and authority and leadership permeate the churches. Where shared leadership promotes a humble servanthood. Eldership, I think, enhances brotherly love, humility, and mutual loving interdependence. I've seen so many monolithic monsters in the church, a single pastor who rules and does everything. And as that church grows, he just gets so high and lifted up. I was brought onto a church here in the area as staff, as a youth pastor. Called in the pastor's office and said, now that you're working here, you're close, you're going to see some things that maybe are not quite right. And I'm like, why? Why, why would I see things that aren't right? You know, and so that signaled to this pastor that he had to kind of keep me on the outs. Because when I got in the ministry, the, almost the first thing that happened is I left the ministry. Because when I got involved, I saw how, I don't know, how sick it was. The stuff that was going on in there was just totally ridiculous. You know, really, really discouraging. Because it has gotten to be a business and, you know, this guy at the top is, is making good money and he's, you know, I walked into the financial office once and the church lady who was financed, was in the head of finances, she had the, you know, the screen, I walk in there and she blanks the screen out. And I said, you know, I work here, is there stuff going on that I'm not supposed to know about with the finances of the church? Well, I knew things anyway. And, and one time at the church we had a, a day called Paycheck Sunday. And on Paycheck Sunday, you're supposed to give your whole paycheck to the Lord. Okay? Your check, you give it all to the Lord. Paycheck Sunday. I don't know if they, had, they should have had Johnny Cash come and, you know, sing something about it. It sounded like something good that they would do. Well, here's the, here's the part that really made me sick as a pastor at that church. The pastor got up and he held up his check and he says, I'm giving my whole check. And I'm encouraging you people to do the same thing. Give your whole paycheck to the Lord. Just And I forget what the price But it made me sick because here's the deal. His whole paycheck was what we would call spending money. The church paid his mortgage. The church paid his racquetball court membership. The church paid everything, his car payment. So that check was spending money. 
So it made me sick because it was very deceitful. Your paycheck is your paycheck. You know, it's everything you get. It wasn't for him. And I thought, man, this is so, so wrong. But it was good for me because it motivated me to get out. I said, I can't be part of this. I got to get out. I got to try to do this without all this corruption. All right. So what are the duties of elders? Well, there's a lot, several different things listed in Scripture. But I think the main duty of the elder, bishop, pastor is, what do you think the main duty is? What's the main responsibility? It's to shepherd the flock. According to Scripture, that's the main duty. Now, what does that involve? What, what do you mean by shepherd? Well, it boils down to feeding and leading. Which is feeding them the Word of God and leading by godly example. Now, notice what Peter tells the elders to do. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. That's what they're called to do. To shepherd the flock. Again, that's feed and lead. He says the same thing to the Ephesian elders in uh, 2028. Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Now, I want to spend some time just looking at this verse 28 because this is a pretty significant verse. It's packed as far as understanding the role of elder, overseer, pastor. First of all, he says, be on guard for yourself. Now, Paul could mean here, elders would be on guard of each other's needs, you know, the group, their weaknesses, their faults, to be in guard and kind of keep the group in, you know, what it should be. Or it could mean, elders, each of you guard your own heart, your own doctrine, your own behavior. I think it absolutely means both. He's warning them to be good examples to the flock. you got to guard yourself. Talking to Timothy, who was an elder in Ephesus, Paul writes this, Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. That's where it starts, Timothy. you got to watch yourself. He says, persevere in these things, for as you do this, he says, you will ensure salvation. Now, I don't think the word salvation here has to refer to eternal life. You're going to get saved if you do this. He's talking about their deliverance, their perseverance. He says, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and for those who hear you. So if, you're, if your life is right and if your teaching is right, you're going to deliver yourself and deliver those people who are hearing you because they're going to get the truth and they're going to see a godly example. So an elder, first and foremost, has to guard his own spiritual life. He cannot shepherd the flock of his life as a mess. And like I said, I know from the churches I've been involved in, so much lying, so much deceit. How does that honor God? I don't get it. But you know what? These churches are growing like crazy. And I don't know about all churches, but I know the churches I was involved in. I mean, a lot of stuff that was just immoral went on there. When I first became a youth pastor, I, I went to a, a group with a bunch of youth pastors for a retreat for the weekend. And these guys were telling dirty jokes. And I said, I'm not interested in hearing that stuff. I'm like, this is sick. And so I'm talking to one guy and, you know, I'm sharing, well, last night I read the whole book of Galatians and just, you know, see, and he goes, what? You read the Bible? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I only read it when I can't go to sleep. And I'm like, I had no, there's no fellowship here. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I'm thinking, how are you in a position to give anybody anything when this is what goes on? Like I said, I had a really, really rough start to the ministry. Okay. <laughs> well, Paul guarded his own life. He didn't just tell others to do it. He guarded his own. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27. Therefore I run in such a way 
as not without aim. I box in such a way as beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Paul says, I'm just keeping my body in line. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I want to make sure I'm not disqualifying myself from the ministry. So I discipline myself. Paul's life was an example to all. And he told Timothy also to be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. So Timothy is at Ephesus. And Paul tells him, be an example, which basically, what he is saying to these elders, be on guard for yourselves. Well, they not only guard themselves, but he also says, and for the flock. First of all, you take care of yourself, then take care of the flock. And he tells them to shepherd the flock. Now, notice the sheep symbolism that Paul uses here. The flock were the sheep, the elders are the shepherds of the flock, who were appointed by the Holy Spirit to protect and feed the sheep. The danger is going to come from wolves who would savagely seek to destroy the flock to devour the sheep. In Jeremiah 13.17 and Zechariah 10.3, God calls Israel Yahweh's flock. And in John 10, Yeshua is called the Good Shepherd. 10.11 I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. And as good under-shepherds, the elders are to guard the flock of God against the dangers to spiritual issues. Paul says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now notice, they're not made overseers by the other elders. It's not by self-election, not by any election, not by human ordination. They're made elders by divine appointment. It's the Holy Spirit who makes them elders. Now my question is, how? How does the Holy Spirit appoint someone as an elder? Well, I think that when the apostles were around, by the way, they're not anymore. There's some people who call themselves apostle. No, they're not. Alright? When the apostles were around, they appointed elders. And those who were apostolic delegates also appointed elders. Titus being one of them. And Titus 1.5 says, For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. So, Titus is to appoint elders. He's an apostolic delegate. So the apostles and the delegates could appoint elders. Their appointment was the Holy Spirit's appointment. But once the apostles died off, how does the Holy Spirit appoint elders today? Well, look at 1 Timothy 3. It's a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. I see from this text two ways the Holy Spirit appoints elders. Do you see them? Am I seeing things you don't see? Huh? Okay, number one is a desire. I believe the Lord plants a desire in the heart for the work. The Greek word aspires here. As oregomai, and it means to reach out after, to covet, to desire. What's the second one? The second way he appoints. An overseer then must be. Alright, he has to have a desire, and he has to fit the qualifications listed in the text. So, from the way I understand it, if a person has a desire to be an elder, and he fits the biblical qualifications, he can become an elder. Now, at Berean Bible Church, we have added one extra qualification. We're not saying it's biblical, we're just saying this is our church and we can do what we want with our church. 
And the extra qualification is he has to fit with the existing elders. In other words, we don't want someone coming in who's got a whole different idea than we do, and we're constantly butting heads. They have to be someone we feel is like-minded with what we're doing, what our agenda is. Paul tells these elders that their task is to shepherd the church of God. Now, shepherd is from the Greek word poimino, and it means to shepherd, to feed, to lead. Now, if you want to understand what a shepherd means from the Scripture, let's look at the conversation that Yeshua has with Peter in John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to me, Shepherd my sheep. And he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Yeshua said to him, tend my sheep. Now let me consolidate all these like this. And three times, Peter confirms, the Lord asks him three times, do you love me? And he uses agapao. You love me. And Peter replies, Lord, you know I like you a lot. I like you a lot. He uses the word phileo. It's a word that means to be a friend, to have affection for. Now, it's interesting that the translators don't care. It's a totally different Greek word. They just put it in all the same, and you would not, if you did some research, you'd say, yeah, he loves them all. No, he's, he's not. Do you walk a pile me? And he says, I phileo you. In this text, three times Yeshua says, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. One of those times, the middle one, he uses the word poimino. Shepherd is poimino. But the first and the third time, he uses bosco, not poimino. And bosco means to feed them. To feed them. So from what Yeshua says to Peter, we see that the primary responsibility of the shepherd is to feed the flock. To teach the scriptures. All right, the feed here is not literally. I got to give you some food. Okay, we do that on Wednesday night, but that's not that's not the issue here. It's to feed spiritually, to give them food. This is the elder, the overseer, the pastor's primary responsibility that I understand from the Word of God is to teach the Bible. Man, can you imagine if the church got back to that? That's the job. Teach. The Bible. Well, people don't want that today. It doesn't matter. It's still your responsibility. It doesn't matter what people want. It matters what God has called you to do. This is what Yeshua called Peter to do. This is what Paul did, and this is what Paul called the Ephesian elders to do. To shepherd the flock. Now, in Ezekiel 34, is a divine rebuke of the shepherds of Israel. Because they've forsaken their task and calling as shepherds, and they've begun to feed themselves from the flock, Rather than feeding the flock. It's just what's happening going on today. Pastors are not feeding the flock. They're fleecing the flock. They're getting all they can from the people. You know, with the health, wealth, gospel, they're at the top of the pyramid, so of course they're doing great. 
Everybody else trying to get to that top by giving, doing, planting their seed money or whatever else, the nonsense that they're told to do. Look at Ezekiel 34.2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord Yahweh. This is, Lord is Adonai, God in capital letters, yod heh Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not a shepherds feed the flock? Their job was to feed the flock, but they weren't doing it. Yahweh goes on in this text to rebuke the shepherds of Israel for the fact that the flock has been scattered and it's being devoured. Verse 8 says, As I live, declares Adonai, Yahweh, Surely, because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for the lack of a shepherd. The shepherd's supposed to be protecting that flock. And my shepherds do not search for my flock but rather the shepherds feed themselves and did not feed my flock. The flock's going astray. The shepherds don't even go after them. They're not doing anything. They're not taking care of them. They're not protecting them. They don't feed my flock. And then Yahweh promises, For, this, for thus says Adonai Yahweh, Behold, I myself, you're not doing it, so I will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. Because the, the shepherds have totally forsaken this. All right? Who is speaking here? It's Yahweh. I don't know. Yahweh. So, Yahweh speaking. And he says in Ezekiel 34 that he will go out after the sheep himself. Now, I want you to notice what Yeshua says in Luke. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is a remez. Yeshua is saying, I'm Yahweh. Yahweh said this. I'm saying it because I'm Yahweh. Let's go back to Ezekiel 15 and 16. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest. So you're not doing it. I'm going to take care of them. Declares Adonai Yahweh. I will seek the lost and bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. What's he saying there? I'm going to seek them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to bind them up. I'm going to strengthen the sick. So I will seek and save the lost. But the fat and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. So Yahweh promises Israel He's going to seek and save His flock. And this is the same thing Yeshua says when He quotes from Ezekiel and He says, I am. I will seek and save the lost. I am Yahweh. Yeshua is God in the flesh who has come to seek and save the lost. He is the great shepherd. You know what's amazing to me today? People say, I don't know about the deity of Christ. Well, then just read your Bible. Okay? Get familiar with it because it's everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. The, the Tanakh is just loaded with references to the deity of Christ if you understand what you're looking at. And this is one of them. When Yeshua quotes from Ezekiel 37 using a remez, he used a parts of Scripture and those people knew Ezekiel and they would understand what he was saying. You're coming to seek and say, wait a minute, Yahweh said He was going to do that. Who are you saying you are? I'm saying I'm Yahweh. This flock that the elders are to feed is the church of God. The flock belongs to the Lord God. And then He says, which He purchased with His own blood. The word purchase here is not the common word for to buy. In the sense of buying a slave out of the slave market. This is the Greek word, prepoi eomai, 
and it means to get for oneself. The force of this word is, I have made these things my own. This flock was purchased with the blood of His own Son. These sheep were so valuable to God that He purchased them with the precious blood of His Son. So let me say again, I think that shepherding can be boiled down to feed and lead. Teach the Word of God and live out a godly example. Now the Puritans sparked renewal in a large part through the commitment to preaching as the pastor's primary responsibility. J.I. Packer states, the Puritan faithful preaching, to the Puritan faithful preaching was the basic ingredient in faithful pastoring. This is so far from the truth today that it's not even funny. I, I would dare say most pastors don't think it's their responsibility as far as teaching at all. All right, They're supposed to give something about God to you know, make the people feel good, but not really get in too deep. You know, people don't want that. Again, they don't want it. So let's give them what they want. He then cites from John Owen who wrote, The first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligent preaching of the Word. This feeding is of the essence of the office of pastor. These guys are old school. They're out of touch. Okay? But this is, people, this is the main duty. And even though people don't want it, this is what God's called you to. So either do it or get out. I've often thought, you know, I could probably get a job at some big liberal church as a pastor. You know, I could put together sermonettes for Christianettes who smoke cigarettes. You know, I could put together something and get up there and do it. But I thought, I could never live with myself. You know, my conscience wouldn't allow me to do that. You know, I just, I want to teach what the Bible has to say. But again, for the most part, that's not what people go to church for. So, we're just in a sad, sad spot right now, people, where, you know, the church has forsaken. That's why I think this is important that we understand, you know, what the scriptures say here, because we need to return to the biblical model. And when you have a group of men who meet together, and a group of godly men, whose desire is to, to care for the church, instead of promote themselves, you get a very different outcome in the church. Alright, i, I got some more stuff to say here, but I'm going to fly through this because uh, we're out of time and we'll pick it up next week. Let me see, I want to close with... I want to close with 1 Samuel here. So Samuel said to Saul, you have, accept, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of Yahweh your God, which He commanded you. For now Yahweh would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. Yahweh has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and Yahweh has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what Yahweh has commanded you. And what I want to draw from this text is this is what the Lord's looking for. Yahweh is seeking for himself a man after his own heart. This is what he wants in a church leader. Someone who has a heart for the people. Someone who has a heart for God. We need that if we're going to shepherd the people of God. And I don't believe this is any different today than it was with Israel. He wanted shepherds who care, who would feed, who would lead and take care of the flock. Now, 
We'll pick this up next time and look at some of the other duties of the elders and, and get into this text in 1 Timothy specifically and look at what the qualifications are for elders. But this morning I just want to lay the foundation. I want you to see this issue that elder, pastor, bishop, all synonymous terms as far as referring to church leaders. Don't pay any attention to what you see in the church today. The church has wandered far from the truth of the Scriptures. There's safety and plurality. I think I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the Lord made it this way for a purpose. You know, because there's strength and comfort when you have a group of men who are encouraging, supporting, and correcting each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for the opportunity to look at Your Word. Lord, I pray that our desire would be to follow it, to submit to it, to line up under it. That we might honor You. Lord, as we see the church as a whole today, veering so far from the truth of Scripture, being so pragmatic and doing everything that they think works. I just ask You to help us to be faithful to the truth of Your Word, to be a church that puts forth the truth of the Word of God, teaching the Word of God. Lord, thank You for the privilege to be able to do this. Amen. Amen.